Amen. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate y'all leading us into the throne room. And uh, is everybody doing all right? Just need a little cooler weather, right? So a little, little pray for rain, pray for some cooler weather. Um, you know, this morning we're going to be starting out a new, new um, series on uh, Romans chapter 12. And if you have your scripture and want to go ahead and uh, open up to that, we, we come together this Lord's Day uh, with eager hearts to, to dig into the scripture. Um, we'll be in the 12th chapter of Romans. You know, while you're doing that, there was a a cartoon by Ed Fisher that uh, pictured this huge altar and, and, you know, um, many steps leading to the top such as you might see, um, you know, in a, a, a Mayan culture in Central America. And at the top, there was a priest that was holding a sword and he was ready to slaughter the next victim on this altar. And uh, two guards are dragging this uh, resistant young man up the stairs to be the next sacrifice. And, and watching the young man resist, there was a man who looked to be maybe like the chief or something. And he comments to a man standing next to him. And he said, these young people don't seem to believe in anything these days. I mean, who wants to, who wants to be the sacrifice? You know, I mean, we think about that and we kind of laugh at it. But it, it, it's true. We don't want to be the sacrifice. I want to look at this verse this morning. Uh, just one verse. Uh, Romans 12, uh, verse 1. And God's word says this. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Loving Father, I thank you for this time and I thank you for your word. And I pray that even now, Father, we've been worshiping the Lord Jesus and even now that you would just, your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. Father, that that you would show us the truth of your word and what it means and Father, that you would guide us into all truth through your Holy Spirit. Uh, Father, I pray that you would Help us as we seek to be your kingdom people each and every day. But Father, I pray that you would impress upon us today the truth of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, this is a very rich and I want to say potent verse. Um, weighty. Very weighty. And um, I, uh, I want to draw some uh, principles from this verse, and, and we'll talk about those. Hopefully they will be helpful to you. But understand this, that solid theology leads to a changed life. When you, when you feast on God's word, it, it leads to a changed life. And, um, you know, right after Tracy and I got married, I was working at a lumber mill up in Oregon called Brightwood Industries and, and I was working in the cut shop and so what they did is they had pieces of wood that they would cut into different 
pieces and, and uh, to fulfill the order, they, they would, all the little pieces they would take and finger joint them together in a, in a glue room and, and that kind of thing. But the workers in this cut shop were just not producing. And, um, you know, the, the, the foreman there, he was trying to motivate everybody with everything that he could. He was, you know, giving them these pep talks and he was, he was threatening them with everything that he could throw at them. And, but he wasn't having any success. And um, I remember the big boss coming in that day and um, he asked the foreman, he said, uh, how many units did your shift cut today? How many units? And the foreman, he, he said, nine units. And the, the big boss, without saying anything, he picked up a piece of chalk and he went over on the floor and he wrote a big nine right on the floor in that, in that warehouse. And... Um, you know, the night shift came in and, and they came and they saw that nine and they asked what it meant. And they told him, they said, well, the big boss was in here today and he asked how many units the day shift had cut and, and we told him nine and he, he chalked it on the floor. Well, the next morning the big boss man come back through the mill again and the night shift had rubbed out the nine and they put a ten. When the day shift reported for work the next day, they saw that 10, and, uh, you know, they get an attitude. They're kind of like, oh, they think the night shift is better than we are, huh? And so uh, they thought they would show them. They all pitched in, and they rubbed out the 10, and they put a 12 on there. I mean, when you think about effectiveness and you think about production, a little motivation goes a long way. But you know what? Sometimes we just need to be challenged. We all do it. We get lazy. We get complacent. And we just need to be challenged. And this morning I hope that this message challenges you to move from where you are to where God can use you and, and, and that, your, that your everyday life would be a living sacrifice for him. I mean, too often the church is guilty of trying to motivate people <laughs> like the foreman. You know, we, we exhort them, we, we threaten hell, and, and we use the mighty weapon of guilt to try to get people to live more godly lives. It's true. But this kind of motivation is seldom, if ever, effective. See, the best way to motivate people is to show them what God has done for them and to let them rise to the challenge of responding to that love appropriately. See, Paul knew that as he wrote this letter to the Romans. He knew that what a person believes about God will determine the way they live with and for God. See, unfortunately, the teaching of theology has fallen on hard times, which may explain the reason for the lack of the church's transforming power in our world. Today, you're just about as likely to hear someone say this, I don't care about theology, I just want to follow Jesus. Well, it sounds pious, but it's kind of dumb. It's really kind of dumb. 
I mean, before you can follow Jesus, you have to know who this Jesus is that you're following. You have to know where does he come from? What does he believe? Why do you wish to follow Jesus? What makes him a better spiritual leader than someone else? And where do you think this Jesus is leading you? And you see, these are important, essential, and preliminary questions, but they are all theological questions. Who is Jesus? Where is he leading? What is he asking of you? See, I want to submit to you this morning that that we have to start with the truth and build our lives from there. And true worship is about who we are every day not just on Sunday mornings. It's about who we are 24-7. And and the idea that, that Paul puts forth here, he says, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. The idea of offering a sacrifice of worship as worship was common in the, in the day in which Paul wrote this letter. All the religions at that time uh, offered sacrifices to their gods. And in many cases, except for the most perverted ones, these sacrifices were animals that were killed as part of the sacrificial process. See, Paul changes this image. He calls us not to offer the body of an animal as our sacrifice, as our worship, But he says, to offer our own bodies. We're not to offer something dead. We're to offer ourselves. We are to offer something that is alive. Something that's living. In other words, the highest form of worship is when his priorities become our priorities. His values become our values. And his will takes precedent over what I desire. See, worship is not a series of activities that we perform. That's not worship. That's a worship service. Think about it. A list of activities that we perform. See, we get caught up in the details of the worship service and and overlook the true nature of what it means to worship God. I mean, true worship has to do with the, the whole person. Mind, spirit, body, all of this, our heart. And if we get worship correct, all the other stuff will fall into place. I mean, we look at a couple of examples from the Bible. Abraham. I mean, he was willing to sacrifice his own son if that's what was required in order to honor the Lord. We think about that. That would test your faith. You would have to have tremendous courage to do that. You would have to know that God is leading you in that way. But he exhibited all of these and yet was still obedient. Isaac, his son, 
He seemed willing to allow his father to to tie him up, to bind him, and to, to put him on the altar. Also, tremendous courage, tremendous faith. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I mean, they were willing to go into the fiery furnace rather than to turn away from the Lord. Daniel, he honored the Lord when, and he was willing to, to go in with the lions rather than to deny the Lord. What about David? David walked out there to challenge the giant. Tremendous faith and courage. And the best example is our Savior, Jesus Christ, who prayed in the garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours be done. I mean, we think about that, and, and, and you know, that it's, it's huge. And this is the, the, the true attitude of worship. I mean, God does not want our songs. God does not want our prayers. God does not want our time or our money if he can't have us. He doesn't care about all that other stuff. He wants you. But you know what? The idea of sacrifice is not very popular. I mean, our society urges us to indulge ourselves, not to deny ourselves, to spend or maybe hoard rather than to give and to live for the moment rather than to live for all eternity. See, many churches even work to soften the ideas of commitment and sacrifice. You think I'm exaggerating? I mean, think about this. How many abortions have taken place because a child was inconvenient? Oh, I'm speaking the truth. How many marriage vows have been tossed aside for a a new thrill? How many people are enslaved by debt because they can't say no to their desires? How many people are having physical problems because we won't exercise or push back away from the table? How many ministries, acts of compassion, and other very good things never take place because we won't give up our time in front of the television or the computer? How many mission projects remain undone Because we've spent all of our resources on fun stuff. How many people will never hear the gospel? Because people aren't willing to put themselves out in order to tell them. Listen, worship involves sacrifice of our agenda, of our desires, and our dreams. To his will and his direction. Is that a big price to pay? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. But Jesus told us that we must count the cost in Luke chapter 14. See, I want you to understand this morning that sacrificial and total service 
is reasonable. Sacrificial and total service is reasonable. See, our head sometimes gets overwhelmed at the thought of what God wants from his people. It, it, you know, it, it, our, our head is swimming because of that and, and, and we're tempted to walk away and say, he's asking too much. I've already given, I've already done this. Why are they asking for more? Why does he want more? Have you ever told your child to do something? Maybe you don't have children. Maybe you are that child. You ever had, told your child to do something and they said, Why? Or why should I? And of course you have. We've said it when we were children. And our kids have said it, or will say it to you. It's often at that moment when they ask why. And we find ourselves saying what we vowed that we would never say as a parent. Because I told you so. Because I told you so. Maybe that phrase sounds so bad because we're, not, we're saying it wrong, okay? It's not because I told you so. It should be because I told you so. And I say that because you think of all these young mothers that we have in our church and how they take such great time and, and care with their babies Look, I brought you into this world. I have provided for your needs. I've demonstrated my love for you time and time again. I, I want what is best for you. I love you more than you can possibly imagine. You should do what I say because I have proven that I have your best interest at heart. Because I said so. See, Paul tells us to give ourselves as our spiritual service of worship. Now the King James Version, the New King James, uh, translate the word spiritual as reasonable. And the reason for this difference is a, a disagreement on how to translate the Greek word. Logikos is the word, and I believe the word carries both meanings, reasonable and spiritual. And the word logikos is where we derive our word logic or logical from. And so Paul is writing this and he says, uh, to present your bodies a living, holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service, your logical service of worship. It's reasonable. And the idea of giving ourselves as a spiritual and reasonable act of worship fits very well with the context See, Paul's argument is simple. After you have seen God's wonderful salvation plan that I've talked about in the last 11 chapters. He's explained all of this doctrine about how, how God sent his son and gave his life for ours to, to forgive us so that we could be with him and have eternal life forever. After doing that, he says, giving yourself to the Lord is a reasonable expression of true and spiritual worship. Seeing everything that God has done in your life to be a living sacrifice for him is reasonable. I mean, giving yourself 
to the service and obedience of the Lord is, is reasonable. It's logical for, for several reasons. And I want to I explain here. First, it's, it's reasonable because of what Christ has done for us. When you think about all that Christ has done for you, I mean, if someone made a great sacrifice, would you want to show that person your gratitude in, in some tangible way? I mean, suppose you wanted to go to college. Go crew. Come on, crusaders. I know you're out there. There you are. There you are. I'm kind of... Go crew. If you wanted to go to college and you had no way to pay for your schooling, think about this. But someone offered to pay your educational expenses. Would you want to do your best in school? To show that this person's generosity was a good investment? Would you want to keep in touch with that individual? Would you ever forget what they did for you? You'd be eager and exceedingly grateful to show that this investment had paid tremendous dividends in your life. With that thought in mind... So what would be the appropriate and reasonable response to one who laid aside the riches of heaven and came to earth to give his life as a payment for your sin? It seems reasonable that nothing would be too great to do for him, for Jesus. What would be the reasonable, logical, and appropriate response to one who has saved us from an eternity in hell. Not only that, he's given us the privilege of being called a child of God. Second, I would say it's reasonable to serve the Lord because of what he is continuing to do for us. I mean, Christ's work in our life continues. Yes, he saved us. He's preparing a home for us, but his 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 work in our life continues. And, and, and yes, the Lord God sent Jesus to die for us, but he also gave us his spirit. His spirit to lead us to the truth, to equip us with everything that we need to serve faithfully and fruitfully. He's given us uh, uh, his spirit to purify us and to help us to change our habits, to change our thoughts. He's given us the spirit to pray for us when we don't even know what to pray or how to pray. He's given that spirit to us and he's also given us strength when the waves of life crash in around us. The Holy Spirit assures us even when we are uncertain. I ask you this question, what are these things worth to you? See, third, it's reasonable to serve the Lord because of what he will will do for us. And I think this is big. He's preparing a place for us. Now, I know this is kind of a a little bit of a crass um, illustration, but I I believe it works. Um, How many children do you know who are very attentive to their parent 
because there is a rich inheritance that awaits them. I mean, these people don't want to be written out of the will, right? So they're, they're doing everything they can. We are running the race of life seeking an inheritance which is much better than money can buy. To me, that is, that is exceptional. That is special. We are pursuing everlasting life. We are pursuing bodily transformation. We are pursuing a reunion with our loved ones who are in heaven. And, and, and we're, we're pursuing a full understanding. But most of all, we are running this race to see Jesus face to face. To see him face to face. See, we are right to live differently in light of the inheritance that will soon be ours. You don't have as much time as you think. None of us do. And the problem is, is that is the commodity that we don't know how much we have. Moving on, fourth, it is reasonable to serve the Lord because of God's character and his nature. See, these previous three motivations here for serving the Lord are centered around what we have received. (laughs) But the number one reason for living a life of service to the Lord is simply because of who he is. Who he is. He's the creator. He's the one who made us. He's good. He is holy. He is merciful. He is righteous. He is compassionate. He is pure. He is incorruptible. He is consistent. He is dependable. He is faithful. He is all of these things and more. He is loving. But you see, these great words don't even begin to scratch the surface of his magnificent person and character. We are limited by our language. We can't describe who God is because all of these words we use to describe other things. And he is so far beyond us. We worship him and it is reasonable for us to worship him for who he is. Not just what we can receive from him. See, in our society, we we tend to honor individuals and teams that have athletic prowess. You know, we many people plan their schedules around the, the NCAA finals or the, the Super Bowl, the World Series, the college bowl games. But think about how transformational it would be for our churches and our communities if we We're willing to give God even an equal amount of respect and honor that we do with all of these other things. I'm not talking about going above and beyond. I'm talking about if we were just equal with what we give these other entities. But see, I believe he's worth so much more. He is so worthy. I hope that you've seen the reasonableness of what Paul is saying. And a question remains. If this is all so reasonable, 
Why do we resist it so strongly? If it's reasonable for us to do this, why do we dig in our heels? Why do we say, I'm not doing that? Why is it that we have an attitude about it? Why is it so difficult to surrender to our Lord? And why do we make so many excuses for not serving Him? I'll tell you, some people may not really believe. They're playing a religious game. Oh, we do the church thing, but we don't really believe that we're all that bad. I'll tell you, there's enough darkness in this heart right here that when I get this taken care of, my brother is not going to be a problem to me. Others may need a savior, but not us. That's kind of our attitude sometimes. Maybe we really don't believe in heaven or hell. But I want to tell you very plainly, those people are lost. Those people are lost. It may even be possible that we resist because we misunderstand God's motives. I mean, we think he's trying to keep us from having fun when all the while he's trying to teach us about joy. About joy. (laughs) We think he doesn't understand what we need when in truth we don't even understand what we need. We think he wants to take everything away from us. In truth, he wants us to let go of the things of this world so he can give us the riches of heaven. I'm almost done. I'm going to bring this plane in for a landing. So where does this leave us? I mean, if you come to realize that you're just playing a game this morning, maybe that you really don't believe, I want to encourage you to examine the evidence. Examine the evidence of what Paul is saying here. You know, for many of us, I think we're left with a very haunting question. If I really believed, what would I be doing? If I really believed, what would I be doing? I mean, is there, is there some sin that you would repent of? Is there a ministry that you would get involved in? Is there a habit that you would change? If I really believed, what would I be doing? Is there a gift that you would give? A move that you would make? Maybe a person you'd contact? If you really presented yourself to him, as your sacrifice to him, how would your life be different? And I think this is a very important question. What is your answer? What is your response to God's mercy? I'm not talking about grace. Grace is when we receive what we don't deserve. But mercy is when we don't receive what we do deserve. 
And Paul says this, he says, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, not receiving what we do deserve, in looking at that, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. He's saying, friends, in in view of God's astounding and transforming mercy, I urge you to present yourselves as a, to him as a living sacrifice. Trust his counsel. Follow his spirit's leading. And give him all you have. After all, in light of who he is and what he has done, it just makes sense. Amen. I'm going to ask our worship team if they would come back up here and uh, lead us in a couple of more uh, a time of response, really. And, and, and we want to close today with what I'm calling God's altar call. That's really what Romans 12, 1 is. It's all about that. It's a personal time for us to present our bodies as sacrifices to God. See, this verse literally says, you all of you present yourselves to God. Folks, this is what God wants from everyone, from all of us. You know, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible, the message, it, it reads this way, and I thought this was very good. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Live your life every day as a sacrifice and an offering to Him. No matter what you're doing. I mean, we are to glorify God in every aspect of our life. And it certainly means that when we are in the word and when we are in prayer throughout the week, yes, it means that. But also, as you go to work, as you go to school, as you're out walking with friends, as you're working out, as you're um, in, involved in forms of recreation, wherever you go, you're to be living on the altar. And your life is to be a worship service given to God. See, because you have experienced God's mercy, give yourself totally to Him this morning. Amen. In just a moment, I'm going to voice a prayer. And we're going to have a time of response. In that time, if you've never professed Jesus as your Savior and Lord and you want to do that, I hope that you will if you have not done that. Don't put it off. You come. Maybe you're here and you, you, you know Jesus, but you've never followed him in baptism. And you want to be baptized. Come for baptism. Maybe you want to come and be a part of the fellowship here and work and serve at Memorial. 
You want to come and join our, our, this church? You come. If you're looking for a church, this is a good one. But whatever he's putting on your heart, maybe, maybe you just want to come and present yourself to him as your sacrifice, a living sacrifice. But whatever he puts on your heart, I invite you to do that. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, we thank you for this time. And Father, we recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing. God, you're an awesome God. There is none like you.